You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey guys, good morning. It's so good to see you this morning, and uh, what a great reminder to us that Christmas is not just, uh, it's not even just about a baby in a manger. It's about a Lord who came to this earth and came and gave his life for our sins, and uh, we ought to sing joy to the world for this very holiday. Give you a shout out if you are new to River. Glad that you are here this morning, this Christmas season, that uh, you've chosen to worship with us today. And my prayer is very simple, is that just God would encourage your heart, would challenge you, would speak into your heart. And as a church, our real desire is just very simple. We want to help people to take their next steps in faith, in their uh, spiritual journey. And, and we're really all about life change because... Everything changes in our life when we come to know Jesus, everything. And as we follow him, as we know him, uh, he changes just so much within us. And so as a church, that's really what we focus on. Have you, do you remember the old Mythbusters show? Do you remember the, you know, the guys, that, there'd be two guys, they were, they were brothers, weren't they, I think? They weren't brothers? Okay, I made that up. I don't know where I got that. <laughs> so you guys keep me honest anyway. But they were kind of cool. They're sciencey. They're sciencey nerds. They always did fun things. They blow stuff up and test it. Well, I saw not too long ago, for the, the pickup truck owners in the crowd, you know, the big test that they were doing is that better, you get better gas mileage with the tailgate up or the tailgate down, you know? And uh, they were testing that and they actually tested it with like the hard cover on the, the back of the pickup. And, uh, and, and by the way, the best gas mileage apparently was 5% better with neither of those options. It was with a little mesh net uh, for the tailgate. So if you wanna, you know, you own a truck, run out and buy one of those and you'll save money, you know, and you can go ahead and ask for one for Christmas and then there you go. Well, I should have renamed this whole series Mythbusters, I think, Christmas Mythbusters, because it seems like every week I'm running into another thing that, you know, popular conception, uh, just about, you know, the, the, the story of Jesus, if you will. Last week we talked a little bit about how, you know, Mary was not quite this just, you know, sweet, you know, woman riding a donkey, if you will, into Bethlehem, but she had some, some real chops. I mean, she was a tough woman. She was amazing, uh, absolutely amazing. Well, this morning we're going to see uh, a, a couple of other myths, but um, one that's kind of big, but this other one that kind of dawned on me as I was looking, you know, the, we know the first Christmas, as we think about Christmas, was really celebrated, I guess, in the Roman Empire, somewhere between the third and fourth century, depending on who you read and, and how many websites you look up. So Christmas has been celebrated for a long time. Martin Luther apparently was the one who really, the whole Christmas tree in, in Germany and put lights on it and all of that. But, uh, but we know the first real Christmas was when Jesus was born, right? But did you know the first Christmas celebration happened about nine months before that? And it actually doesn't happen in Luke 2. We're going to talk about that tomorrow night in our Christmas Eve Eve service. But it actually happens in Luke 1, when Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. They are absolutely celebrating Christmas, the, the arrival of the Lord Jesus. So I want you to read with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 1. So read with me. You can read on the screen or you can... Follow along there or in your Bible or on your phone. The Bible says this, In those days Mary arose. So Mary's already found out. The angel Gabriel's come, told her she's going to have a baby. And uh, I believe she's probably pregnant at this time. And she goes and she visits her, her relative Elizabeth. Remember two weeks ago we talked about the prediction of John, the first miracle baby at Christmas. Myth number one is Jesus. Christmas isn't about one miracle birth. It's actually about two. 
But uh, So in verse 39, In those days Mary arose, went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth are, is John's parents. Elizabeth's about six months pregnant at this time. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Didn't just kick, didn't just kind of punch. Moms, you know what that feels like, but leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth knew full well her husband didn't believe Gabriel when he came to, to tell about uh, her own pregnancy, but she knew that Mary did. Mary believed Gabriel, and so um, her question was, as we talked last week, was just simply one of how this is going to work. I want you to notice this morning, what strikes me when I read this passage, and I read this, and we'll read in a little bit uh, more in a minute, the Mary's Magnificat, it really is named for the first word in Latin uh, that, that means to magnify, and we'll see in a minute, but this is all about joy and blessing surrounding the coming of the Lord Jesus. We all in our life want some joy, right? Even at Christmas time, what's the Christmas song that talks about have a cup of cheer, the, the holly jolly Christmas, right? You know, I know the cheer's not talking about joy, it's talking about, you know, have that, you know, that, that shot of whatever you're going to have, you know, of alcohol. But we want joy and blessing in our life. I want you to see with me this morning four things, four, not so much sources, if you will, but four things that you and I can do that helps us experience a genuine joy in the Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't plan out, okay, I don't put on my calendar, I'm gonna be happy, or I'm gonna have joy, or I'm gonna have peace and fulfillment, you know, on this date and this time. It just kind of comes and goes, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't pay attention. I, you know, I wake up and, and we kind of, you know, depending on what's going on, I might be kind of happy or sad or whatever, encouraged or whatnot. But we're going to see this morning that when we think about joy in terms of living a life before our God, that no matter what's going on in the world around us, that there are some things that we can do that actually encourage or that, that help us to experience that, that blessing and that joy and that sense of walking with God and that sense of, of, of joy in our life with Him. Or if we're not careful and not paying attention, it means we're actually going to kind of end up in the ditch and end up on the side of the road. So the, the first thing I want you and me to recognize this morning is that, that, that Elizabeth and even the child within her, her baby named John, when Mary came into that room, came into her house, went to visit, most likely pregnant at that time. We don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't out and out say that. But there was a joy that immediately that, that came into their, into their soul, that they were so excited that somebody important, if you will, had come into their presence. And, and John, inside of her, moms, this was not the normal just little kick or flutter. I mean, this was full cardio, jumping and leaping, like high-fiving and shouts John was doing inside of her. Uh, and she was filled with a spirit. So the first thing that I want you and me to recognize, want us to recognize, is that that... 
When we are filled with the Spirit, joy is a lot more possible. Joy comes when you and I live a life filled with and walking in the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that part of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace? You see, the Holy Spirit, when we receive Jesus as Lord of our life, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And He is always at work producing in us and through us, emanating within our soul to, to not only just speak within, but to even kind of ooze out, if you will, all of that fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. And the Bible says here that, that Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. So in those moments, the Holy Spirit was overflowing in her, in her life and in her heart. Now, Sean, what does that mean for us to be filled with the Spirit? Ephesians chapter 5, look with me at what that says. Best verse that I know to help us get our mind wrapped around what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. The, The English standard says, the old King James used to say, in excess. In other words, all the bad stuff that we know happens when people get drunk, don't get drunk because that stuff happens. You don't want that stuff to happen? Then don't get drunk is what it's saying. But it says instead, but be filled with the Spirit. It's comparing being filled with the Spirit with drunkenness. Oh my goodness, Sean, how in the world are those similar? It's the idea of being influenced. You see, you and I are filled with the Spirit. Elizabeth in this moment was filled with the Spirit in the sense that she was influenced by the Holy Spirit. We even talk about that, you know, driving under the influence. When you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit in our life, when we are walking in the Spirit, the biggest influence in our life is God Himself. So the Bible says don't be drunk, because when you're drunk, alcohol is influencing you. It's controlling you. The Bible says it's a a mocker and strong drink is raging. We know that it lowers inhibitions and it kind of lets the real you come out. And it lets all the junk that's on the inside that you ought to be inhibited about and God ought to be cleaning up inside of you. It allows that to come out. Well, likewise, for us as followers of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit is living inside of us and we are following Him and we are influenced by Him and our life is expressing that, then He is the greatest influence in our life. And the Bible goes on and and explains it and says, we're filled with the Spirit And in that process, we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart. So no surprise that Elizabeth, as she is there in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of of, of his mother Mary, which was really more about Jesus than Mary, that she's overwhelmed with joy and excitement and gladness and that she's filled with the Spirit in that moment. Think about being filled with the Spirit maybe like this. I have a dog named Tavi, and Tavi is a, he's a Brittany Spaniel. He is bred designed to hunt. He's designed to find birds, to smell them with his little nose, and to, to point them, not so much with his fingers, but kind of with his nose, you know, just kind of do one of those deals. And I like to go hunting with Tavi. I'm not a very good trainer. I don't have the time or the resources, but thankfully Tavi just kind of knows what to do without me having to work too hard at it. But I, I have taught him to come. I've taught him to, to walk with me. I've taught him kennel. I've taught him all kinds of commands. Because when we go out into the, to the field, he's off the lead. He's off running and doing his thing. 
Now, I expect him as his master to kind of stay with me. I want him to be near me. I don't want him to go off doing his own thing. I don't want him running half a mile away. Even when he's near me, I don't want him just chasing squirrels or whatever. I want him to kind of like work with me here, fella, you know, help me out. And I have a lot of joy that I get to watch him do what he does. And it's fun. I don't make him, you know, he's not like a little robot that I'm trying to, you know, trying to just manage every little thing with my little joystick as I manipulate his life. I want him to work generally to do what he's designed to do, what his nose and little brain and little heart tells him to do, but to do it in cooperation with me. Now, sometimes when we're doing that, I want him to obey some specific commands. Because sometimes I know better where I think the birds are than he does. And sometimes I know there's dangers he doesn't see. I remember a couple of years ago, we were walking along a property line, and I'd been there before, but I'd never noticed it. But there was some barbed wire strands across. And I see him running out of nowhere, and he just, he runs fast. If you've been to my house, you've seen how he runs. And I said, Tavi, come. And he didn't listen to me in that moment because he really loves to hunt. And he ran through the barbed wire. And didn't, wouldn't you know it, he did catch it on his leg. I mean, he just filleted his leg wide open. I mean, I could see all the muscle groups. It's like I just taken a knife and just slid him open for surgery. And the crazy thing, he loves to hunt. He hunted for a couple more hours still, running through brush and all kinds of stuff. And he just, he's tough. I went out. That was the day I got a stapler. So, you know, I can like, like doctors, you know, staple stitches. So if you ever have trouble, just call me up. If you can't get to the, you know, the ER, I'll set you up. You know, I'm good to go. But uh, I give him directions in that moment because I wanted him to obey me because I knew there was danger. I knew it was dangerous. He didn't know it. He didn't see it. But I did. That's what it means for you and I to be filled with this spirit. It means that God wants us to live our life. It's not that we're, you know, kind of like, God, what should I do? I want to be filled with your spirit today. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I wear this? Do I eat that? You know, he does, God doesn't want to put us on a little joystick. He wants us to live our life in the way that he designed us, the way he made us, but he wants us to cooperate with him, and he wants us and he wants him to be the biggest thing in our life. When, we're, when I'm out there with my dog, I want to be the biggest thing in his life. I don't want other things. I want him turning his head toward me. I don't want him running here. I don't, I don't want him just doing his own thing. I want him listening to me and partnering. When you and I are living that way, listening to God, in step with where he's going, obedient when he gives us some clear commands, just specific things, and obedient clearly to Scripture, He's the greatest influence in our life. And as we live life that way, it produces an incredible amount of joy as we live. Because we get to experience the things that God wants us to have. We get to experience blessing in our life. We get to experience life with Him as our Lord. And our life more and more is lived in this sphere of joy. The Bible tells us when we're filled with the Spirit, we can't help but be within our soul and within our mind and within our life to just over, overflow those kinds of thoughts. As Christmas time comes, it produces a lot of happiness and a lot of joy and a lot of expectation. Sometimes it's genuine. For some people, it brings a lot of memories of pain and sadness and difficulty. And for some people, because they put their joy and their hope and their happiness in maybe getting those presents or maybe just that dinner or that relationship, on the back end of it, it's hollow and it kind of pops and the joy evaporates and here comes, I was about to say Monday, but I guess Thursday is reality again, right? The day after Christmas. Well, I don't know where in all of that spectrum you are, but I want you and I to realize this morning that regardless of all of that, is the joy that we're looking for is a joy that comes 
live with a life filled with the Spirit, with God, day in and day out, holiday in or not, but we experience that joy of life. So if you are finding yourself, whether it's down or like, oh, I'm just not you know, enjoying it, I want to challenge you to go back and are you truly living life filled with the Spirit? Are you allowing things to get your attention? When my dog is out hunting and for whatever, if he gets a butterfly on his brain or I don't know what he smells, probably glad. There's a lot of smelly stuff in the world that I really don't want to smell, if you know what I mean. And uh, I don't know, but when he kind of does his own thing, he's not happy because I'm having to give him all kind of commands and kind of get on him to straighten him out, you know, and bring him back and all of that. And I'm not happy. Sometimes you and I, when we begin to neglect God in our life, it's not that we're just overtly sinning. It's not that we're, you know, all of a sudden gone off the deep end and all of this horrible stuff. But sometimes we're just ignoring what God's doing. And sometimes we're just living life and we're not paying attention to God and we're really not working with Him. And in those moments and in those times and in those seasons and those days or hours or weeks, we're not filled with the Spirit. So if you're struggling in your life this season and, and finding that joy, I want you to go back. Are you truly filled with the Spirit? Is God the greatest influence in how you're living your life right now? And if not, then speak with Him and, and do what He responds and, and talks to you about. Whether it's, hey, you've just been kind of ignoring me, neglecting me, whatever that is, but be filled with the Spirit. Take those steps with Him. Second thing I want you to notice, not only is being filled with the Spirit important for our joy, important for living our life and, and experiencing the blessing and the, the, all that God has for us and the expectation of that, but we also need to focus on our Savior. Look what verse 46 says. This is the beginning of the, if, if you've grown up and heard the Magnificat, which just means to magnify or to make great. Look what the Bible says in verse 46. And Mary said, here's what Mary says in response to what Elizabeth said. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary said, my soul, not just my, my mind, my, my soul, everything in my being. God was big to Mary right now. When the Bible says that her soul was magnifying God, it doesn't mean that she was making God bigger. Bigger. We know what magnifying glasses are, right? You can pull out a little magnifying glass. Maybe you had a little Swiss Army knife when you were a kid, or maybe you've hit a stage in your life where you keep one of those when you're reading. I kind of need that now if I don't have my glasses. But we, it makes something bigger. Is it really bigger? No, it just looks bigger. That's what Mary is saying here. God, you look bigger to me right now than you used to. God, you are magnified in my life. You are larger in my life right now than I've ever known before. And when you get around things that are truly big, it's, it's a little amazing. You don't just cognitively think about it. You feel it, don't you? It, it's something that you kind of experience. I remember when I was in Maine, I was in college there, and uh, my undergraduate, my studies were wildlife management. So I was running around and measuring trees and s snow up to my waist and deer and animals and all of that. And on campus, kind of in the woods, we had, uh, we had a moose that she was not domesticated, but she lived in an enclosure and was studied and all of that. And her, her name was Sue, Sue the Moose. And I remember the first time that I walked up to Sue uh, the Moose, up to the fence, and I wasn't more than a couple feet away, and she was enormous. Her top of her shoulders were six feet up. Her head went up from there. 
thousand pounds. I mean, I had seen pictures of moose. I'd you know been around and all of that, and I, you, know, you can see them from afar. Like, wow, it's a moose. That's cool. But it's different when you're you know 12 inches, 18 inches away, and you're just like, oh my goodness. This thing could totally crush me. By the way, you ought to be more afraid of moose, especially a cow moose with calves than you are a bear. You talk about mama bear, moose are big and tough and they will protect, but that's another story. Here's the deal. You and I, when we focus on our Savior, when we are getting close, as it were, to what God is doing in our life, God gets bigger. Well, we're not so much seeing God from afar that, oh, yeah, I believe in God, or, oh, yeah, I read what God did in the Bible with those people. Mary is saying right now, God, you're enormous to me right now. By the way, notice she wasn't excited or impressed about being close to an angel. That didn't, she, oh, I saw an angel today. Oh, it was amazing. Let me tell you all about it. No. She was amazed at the God of heaven who sent the angel that she had not seen and what God had done, not only in her life, we'll see in a minute, but what God was doing in the world around her. And she was astounded by this, astounded and amazed at the work of God in her life. And the overflow of that was nothing but joy. And in her spirit, she says in verse 46, that she was rejoicing in the God, her Savior. If you want joy in your life, you and I need to focus in a little bit more on our Savior. Is there, are there plenty of things around this world that, that can rob us of joy, can rob us of that sense of blessing and that sense of peace and security and that, that life that God meant us to live? Absolutely. And when we allow those things to pull us away, part of the, the byproduct or part of the natural effect of that is that we begin to to lose that sense of, of the presence of God in our life. God is everywhere, absolutely. He lives inside of us and He's omnipresent, so you can literally never get away from the presence of God. But you and I can be a little thick and a little darkened to His presence, and we can ignore Him. And when you and I don't focus on Him as an as immense God that He is, then our soul is underwhelmed. We're not impressed. We go, eh, we live, you know, through life, through those kinds of things. So you and I, if we want joy in our life, we need to see the bigness of God in everyday life, not just the big things that happen once in a while, but even in the small things. I don't know what your thing is if you're driving along on the road and you have to get up early in the morning, you're like, why do I have to get up so early and go to work and all of this? And then one morning you look over and see an incredible sunrise. That's a small thing. But in that moment, you say, God, you're amazing. That is absolutely amazing. When it's snowing out and it's crazy and icy and you've got to go into work and you're like, oh, I hope I get it. God, would you take care of me? When you get out of your car, you ought to say, God, thank you. Thank you, God, you helped me. See, in all the little small things, when you're sitting there watching your kids play, I had a couple of kids, uh, I think it was just yesterday, playing a video game in my, my living room and... I thought, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy. I do little things, but I had, I had joy watching them just do their little thing because I realized the day's coming where they're not going to be around doing that kind of thing. I said, thank you, God, that I get to experience that. See, I was amazed in those moments at the greatness and the power of our God who's in everyday life. You see, 
you don't ever live a day, you don't ever draw a single breath without the majesty of God completely surrounding you. The issue isn't God's majesty. The issue isn't God's immensity or his amazement. The issue is when you and I just kind of close our eyes, ignore it, and don't focus in on it. But it's truly all around us. And so if you want to live a life with that joy and seeing the blessing of God in your life, oftentimes we're blessed and we just ignore those blessings. Focus in on God your Savior and the small things like I'm talking about and the medium-sized things. Sometimes you pray for stuff and God answers your prayers. That kind of, for me, that takes it up another notch. There's something personal. When I've prayed about something, and, oh my goodness, God answered this and God answered that. I kind of see those as medium-sized things, you know, the joy. And then once in a while, things come along that I really see God do something amazing, and I just sit back and just go, wow, God, you are, you are just absolutely astounding in what you've done. When I see him work in somebody's life or take a situation that's been upside down for years and all of a sudden God just kind of sweeps in and writes it, we should focus in on God our Savior and all the little stuff and all the medium stuff and even on the big stuff. Sometimes we're always waiting on the big stuff. The big stuff comes, but life is really the little stuff and we need to see God there. Third thing I want you to recognize Joy not comes, doesn't just come because we're filled with the Spirit when we focus in on the Savior, but it, it also comes um, when we experience the forgiveness of our sin by our Savior. Here's the second myth. Remember I told you there's two myths in here? No, look at verse 47. I want to make sure that's on the screen. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You see that? Mary calls... God, her Savior. People need saving when they're in trouble, right? If you're drowning and the lifeguard comes, or if your kid is drowning and the lifeguard saves your kid, you say, thank you for saving me. If the doctor helps you, you've got cancer and performs surgery and saves you and does an amazing thing, thank you for saving me. Mary needed saving. She didn't say, I'm going to rejoice in God, your Savior, the world's Savior. I'm going to rejoice in God, my Savior. Mary is saying, I need saving. When God saves people, he's not saving. When the Bible talks about things, he's not talking about saving them from drowning. He's not talking about saving them from cancer. He's talking about saving them from their sin. Mary is actually indirectly, close to very directly, admitting her own sin right here. You see, people, only people who are, have a serious problem need saving. Mary is saying, I am a sinner and I need a, a savior. See, the idea of the Immaculate Conception is actually a myth. Now, Mythbusters, when they are proving their myths, they go to science. They go to, you know, a repeatable experiment that can be tested under certain conditions and follow the scientific procedure and all of that. And that's their body of truth. That's the standard by which they hold and test their hypothesis, test their theory, and test their myth. When we think about this, we think about the various things that people believe, we're taking the Bible to be that standard to be the thing that we test the idea against, to test the theory against, and the idea that Mary was born herself immaculate. Some of you don't, weren't brought up in a, a church that taught the Immaculate Conception, and you might accidentally think that that's talking about Jesus' birth, and it's not. 
The Immaculate Conception and, and from decades and centuries gone by says that Mary didn't have sin and that she was born supernaturally, providentially by God, kept from sinning. But what I just showed you is that's a myth because Mary herself admitted her own sin. She herself was not immaculate. We read last week when we read earlier in chapter 1, well, how did God keep Jesus from having sin? If Jesus had a human mother who was a sinner, I don't know mechanically how this happened, but all I know is that the Holy Spirit somehow kept that sin nature in Mary from going to her son. Theologians, by the way, have postulated over the years that sin nature gets passed from the father down to the child, not from the mother. Maybe, I don't know, but that's kind of above my pay grade and God can fill us in and how that all works, maybe. You wise might say, see, I told you it was all your fault. You know, it's actually your dad's fault. I knew that all along. You know, I always knew it was his fault. But I want us to recognize joy comes ultimately when God is really our Savior, that we're forgiven of our sins. Sometimes, I don't know if this hits you, I hope it does, and I don't sit down and try to think about it, you know, consciously, if you will, but sometimes as I'm just processing life and things that are going on, I just sit back and I say, God, I am so grateful that you saved me from my sin. God, I know that I am not perfect, and, and God, I'm feeling the pinch of this or the pain of that, and I don't know what's going to happen in this situation, but God, you saved me. I mean... I could have so easily gone to hell and spent all of eternity without hope, completely. And all of that pain and suffering, and you didn't owe me a thing, and yet you sent your son Jesus to die for me. God, thank you for forgiving me of those sins. You see, guys, sometimes we just need to take a step back and all of the, whether it's first world problems or third world problems, and all the stuff around us. We need to go back to the basics. If we were to sit down with Mary, Mary, you need anything? You're tired? Nope, I'm good. She is overjoyed. She just got walked in the door from a long journey, and there was nothing she needed in her life. Mary, you need a million bucks? I'm, honestly, yeah, I could use a million dollars, but honestly, I'm good. I'm just so, so excited and so thankful for my Lord and my Savior and to seeing what God has done in my life. Sometimes we, we, we create in our mind expectations of Christmas or things, and, well, I better get this gift, or I'm going to be mad, or he ought to do that, or I'm going to be upset, or she ought to be, or this better turn out, or this or that. And, and along the way, we just need to step back and say, thank you, God, for forgiving me. Thank you that Jesus died for my sins. God, thank you for allowing me to hear that message that I could surrender by faith, turn from my sins that penalized me and made me deserve hell and a world separated from you. God, thank you for saving me. Forgiveness, having that relationship with Jesus our Lord brings joy. Last thing I want you and me to recognize this morning is that joy comes when we see the strengths of our God. God's God's strengths in action. Read with me the rest of this. It's really a song or a, a poem that Mary, Mary writes. She goes on in verse 48. By the way, the, the, the phrase, he has and then done something, is eight times in this. This is all about 
about God, all about Jesus. Look at verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's telling us why she's rejoicing and why God's big to her. He's looked on the humble state of his, of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Was Mary special? Yes. Was she that special? No. Elizabeth said, blessed are you among women. She did, he didn't say, blessed are you above women. He said, blessed are you among women. Mary was special, but she wasn't that special, folks. She's not a mediator. She can't be a mediator or mediatrix, as the, some in the old churches, old churches taught, because she was a sinner. She can't be the mediator between us and God. She was an average person, humble person. Was she a little bit special? Absolutely. But she wasn't that special. The one that's really special is, is Jesus. Think about it this way. Elizabeth was blown away, yes, that Mary had come to visit her. But what she was really blown away was that Jesus was coming to visit her. You know, if somebody famous comes to my house, I don't know who that would be, but somebody you'd like to meet, you know, and they come to my house, you're like, oh, you lucky dog, you're so, you know, you're blessed or whatever. I'm nothing special in that scenario. What matters is, is that somebody else important just happened to come to my house. Mary isn't anything special. It's just that somebody else important happened to come uh, to her and come into her house, her, her womb, if you will. So, but she is amazed at all of these things that God has, has done in her. So notice the strengths that she's focused in on. He's, he's looked on this humble estate of his servant, and now all generations will call me blessed. Blessed because Jesus the Lord is with her. And verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength on his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forevermore. I want you to notice that Mary, as, as her joy filled with the Spirit herself and exalting the Lord Jesus with inside of her, she notices these things that God has done for her. I want you to notice that they were personal to her. Again, God was not just far away in his exaltedness, but he was up close. He says, you know, generations in verse 48 will call me blessed. Verse 49, he has done great things for me. It wasn't that God was some, you know, uh, impractical or some abstract concept out there. But God was a great God right up front in here to her. It was personal. All the things that she saw just wasn't just that God was out there making the world and running the world, but that God of the universe that she saw in her and his greatness was specifically to her. Sometimes we believe lies in our hearts and they cause a tremendous amount of problems inside of our soul. They actually well up wrong feelings. They well up fear and doubt and all kinds of things. And sometimes people struggle to really believe that the God of the universe really is, is for them, can really overcome their sin. 
And it's easy to walk around in shame, even after you know in your mind and you're, that you're forgiven, but you still feel that past sense of shame. Well, this Christmas, my prayer, if that's you, if you truly are a child of God, that you have surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord, the Bible says is God has forgiven you, and all that shame is gone. Sean, you're saying I should never have any regrets. No, regrets are normal and healthy. You ought to look back and say, yeah, I blew that one. I shouldn't have. I'd like to have that one over again. But that's different than walking around in the gripping, paralyzed shame that paralyzes you in your prayers and, and service and even how you view yourself before a God in heaven. Is that We should realize that God in his greatness is for us. What Mary, if you look closely, what Mary, is she, what no, she noticed, that she noticed the, the mightiness of God in verse 49. She noticed the holiness of God in verse 49. In verse 50, she noticed the mercy of God. She said, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. She's putting herself in that list, but she's broadening it. She said, I'm blown away what God has done to me. I'm now the mother of my Lord, and I, this is, this is mind-boggling. And she's praising God and worshiping me. She knew that she was humble and nobody special, and that the only thing special about her was that Jesus, that God chose her to put Jesus inside of her. But now she, she's talking about it and, and just in the overflow of her joy, she's sharing with us that this same God is the great God of the universe and that he's holy. And this God offers mercy to everyone in every generation, not just the past, but the present and the future. And so she's putting herself as the one who's received mercy herself for her sins and her past life. So you and I this morning, as we to, to live in that joy, is to recognize that as we are forgiven of our sins before God in heaven, that God is great and powerful, that God is holy. He holds us accountable for our sins. He doesn't ignore them. He's powerful enough to deal with them, but he's merciful as well to forgive them. And all of those are going together and are, as a part of who our one God is. And he forgives us and merciful into our soul. That ought to create in our life such a sense of blessing and blessedness. It should be so big in our life that literally, if not one good thing ever happens the rest of our life, not one, not one, we should be able to say, I am so blessed because the God in heaven has loved me and saved me and forgiven me. But the truth of the matter is we know that we live such lead such blessed lives because the God of the universe not only saves us and forgives us of our sins, but as Mary talks about here, he helps those who are helpless. He, in verse 53, he fills the hungry with good things. He lifts up the humble and he deposes the, the proud. He provides, he helps, he cares for his children and those in his, his world. And the amazing thing to me in all of this is Mary is speaking all of these things as already having been accomplished. The Bible says in each of those very consistently, He has done this. He has filled. He has uh, brought down the mighty. He has exalted the humble. He has helped. He has shown strength in His arm. 
And he's talking about the salvation that he brings through Jesus. When God wants to flex his muscles, it's talking about salvation. When God made this world, he used his little fingers, just like playing with Legos. <laughs> he didn't have to do, he didn't have to break a sweat. He didn't have to break a sweat doing anything. But if we really want to see the strength of God, it's best seen in Jesus our Lord, coming to this earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, resurrected again. That's the strength and the power of our God. And Mary's saying, all of this stuff is as good as done. What that means for you and me is this. When we live our life filled with the Spirit, trying to live and just naturally in the flow of life, in partnership with Him, with Him as the great influence in our life, focusing on Him day in and day out, forgiven of our sins, we're going to run into some obstacles along the way. Even when we do obey God, we're going to get ripped up and torn at times. We're going to run into stuff not knowing sure how things are going to work out. But what we need to remember is, is that the strengths of our God should also give us a confidence and a hope and a joy and a peace and a sense of blessedness right now in the middle of the problem because in God's mind, they are already done. He's already taken care of us. He's already met those needs. So rather than fretting and worrying and fear and doubt and heartache and despair and depression, we ought to say, yeah, this really stinks. And I'm not enjoying this a whole lot. But you know what? I have a confidence. And I have an inner joy. It's going to be okay. Because God, my Savior, my God's a powerful and strong God. I've noticed I increasingly like to think of God in terms, you may have picked up on it a little bit, and, but I like to think of God as the God of the universe or the, the most high God. That's how, how what Gabriel talked when he came to, to Mary and saying who Jesus was that would be born in her, described him as the son of the most high God. I like that because it subtly just reminds me that when God is the most high there isn't anything above him. Everything in this world is below him. And when I keep that concept in the forefront of my mind, it helps me to keep everything in the world in perspective. He's the most high God. And I get to not only bring my petitions and my needs before him, and his eye is toward me just as he is toward Mary and just as he is toward every one of his children who've surrendered their life to him as, as Lord, for him, all of these needs have already been met in your life and in my life. They're already done. You and I don't feel it and see it because we're in the middle of the crises or in the middle of the situation or the circumstances or the whatever. But when you're the Most High God, you ha who has no beginning and no end, everything in the future is already past. And he's promised us promised us that he's taking care of us and it's okay. You want to live a life with joy and a sense of blessing and peace that Mary and Elizabeth are just overflowing as they worshiped in this truly this first Christmas celebration? Keep in your mind and your heart today and every day that God has already provided for all of your needs. He's already provided for whatever that crisis is, whatever those situations are, 
Look at it this way. If he's willing to solve the biggest crisis that you've ever had, which is your sin, and to save you out of the biggest mess, which is hell, every other little thing is truly little. Like He's got it covered, and he pretty much took care of all of it, every bit of it. So this Christmas season, I want to challenge you to live your life in a way that God's the biggest influence, that Jesus is the biggest influence, not other things, not the holidays, not the whatever around us. Oh, we ought to celebrate. I love Christmas. We decorated Christmas cookies Friday night. I even did five or six of them. My snowman looked a little psychotic, to be perfectly honest with you. He was the first one I ate to kind of get rid of the evidence. He tasted just as good. So I like all of that too. But along the way, our focus ought to be our Lord Jesus in the middle of all of that life. As we run through life and, and have the fun in the field and the life that God has in front of us, we put the focus there. We will, we will look back on our life no matter what has happened and say, I have been so blessed in every area because of God my Savior. Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus. I thank you that we get to celebrate you this Christmas. And Father, we enjoy the festivities and the holidays and the music and the traditions and the families and all of those things. But Lord, I am so grateful that we get to worship and to focus on you in the middle of all of that. Lord, help us to truly walk with you, to know you, to experience your pleasure, your joy, to experience your holiness, to live life fully with you, I pray. Lord, I pray for those that need to make a step of faith and just truly surrendering their life to Jesus, giving him control over everything. God, I pray that they would surrender and trust you as Lord, simply accepting your solution of, of Jesus dying on the cross is the only thing that they need and the only thing that can save them from their sin. Lord, for all the others, I pray that you would help us to walk in that simplicity of that joy as we've talked about this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.